You want to take your Bible and turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. Last Sunday, we had one of our IMB personnel, Zane Pratt, with us, and he preached out of Romans chapter 10 and shared with us the implications of the gospel, the missionary implications of the gospel, how it compels us to go. and reminds us that if we do not go, then people hear and will have an opportunity to believe and, and be saved. And so what more fitting thing can we talk about this morning than the gospel? In fact, what more fitting thing can we do than to remind ourselves of our duties and our obligation to go and to share the gospel? And so I want to remind you that as a church, we receive the Lottie Moon Christmas offering every December. So throughout this month, we're going to be receiving that offering. I want to encourage you to, to prayerfully consider giving above and beyond the, the regular tithe uh, to the work of the gospel around the world. And so it's an awesome privilege that we have, a great responsibility that we have to participate in this. And so this morning, I want to speak really to that same idea. And I want to talk to you about the church as an evangelistic people. We've been in this series for a few weeks now. It's a nine-message series on the church. It's kind of looking at who the church is, what the church is supposed to do, and why we're supposed to do what we do. And we've seen already that we as a church, we are a preaching people. And as a preaching people, we have one text. It's the Bible. We look at the Bible. We study the Bible. We teach the Bible. And in fact, as we look and study and to teach the Bible, we see that it has one central message. We have one central focus, and that is God. God is the subject of Scripture. And so the, the the, the teaching of Scripture, it being about God, forms us as a theological people. We're not a psychological people. We're a theological people. And as we look there at the subject of God's Word, and we look at the story of God word, God's Word, we see that the meta narrative is about the gospel. It's about people coming into relationship with Jesus, being redeemed into new life. So that great story makes us a gospel people, a preaching people, a theological people, a gospel people. And so as we look at the gospel, we see that it alone redeems and transforms. It's through the gospel that believers are saved from their sin and come into relationship with Christ. It's through the gospel that we experience a changed life, which makes us a converted people. This morning, we as a church are not a religious people. Though we go through religious actions, yes, but by and large, we are not a religious people. We are a converted people, converted to God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the gospel that calls us to respond. But for the gospel to call us to respond, it must first be preached. I believe that's why the Apostle Paul questioned, we looked at it last week, how can people call on, how can people believe in, how can people place faith in Christ and turn from their sins if they don't first hear and have someone bring it to them. So this understanding of the gospel, this understanding of conversion alone brings sinners, makes us as a, an evangelistic people that goes after sinners. So I want you to think, I hope you're able to hear at the end of that video that we just watched, I hope you heard what the missionary said. Serving there in the Amazon basin of South America, he said this, you can be born live and die without ever hearing the name of our Savior. So we have to go. It is worth it. Think about that. You can live, be born into this world, live in this world, die in this world, and never know the name of Jesus, never know the story of Jesus, never understand what the gospel is and what it means for you. So if people can be born, live, and die without ever hearing of Christ, 
isn't it on us as God's people to go and to tell them? You may say, well, that's in the Amazon. That's not here, right? That, that's overseas. That's in Africa. That, that's in New Guinea. That's in the jungles of the Amazon River there in South America. It, it's in the hills and mountains of central Mexico. It's in those faraway places where there are far from God people. No, the truth is you can be born and live and die right here in the Richmond area, right here in Powhatan. You may hear the name of Jesus because you will pass churches from time to time, but you may never hear the gospel. I can't tell you the number of times over the last few years where I've met people, many of them have been teenagers or children, and they have no understanding, no recollection of the gospel, no true understanding of what Christmas is really all about. It's not just over there, it's here as well. And so the Bible makes it clear that every human being is born a sinner. Every person is rebellion against God. Every person is under the condemnation of their sin. Every person is born dead in their sins and trespasses, separated from God. The Bible makes it clear that through the gospel, though, every person can hear and know what God has done to deal with their sin, how he's dealt with their condemnation. Every person can believe on God's redeeming son and be converted. But they cannot hear and they cannot believe without someone first sharing the gospel with them. One of the things that Zane, if you're here or you listened last week online, one of the things he made clear to us is that all throughout the word of God, all throughout the Gospels especially, you see God giving his gospel, God giving his message of redemption, but he always does it through a human. He may give us visions. He may give us dreams. It's happening in the Muslim world uh, all the time, but that always leads the person to a journey to find a believer who will share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thus, we enter into the equation and the picture of redemption. It's incumbent upon us as Christians to share the gospel with those who need to hear it. This is where we enter the story. And so if we were to use this, the, the parable that Jesus shared there in Matthew 13, we looked at it a few weeks ago, the parable of the soils. We come into this story and we preach and we share the gospel with others. And as we sow the seed to use the parable, that seed of the gospel falls on four different kinds of soil. It's going to fall on packed soil. It's going to fall on rocky soil. It's going to fall in crowded soil. But it's also sometimes, many times, going to fall in good soil. There's where the fruit comes. There's where life change takes place. There's where transformation, there's where redemption comes into existence. And so to, today, I want us to look at evangelism, the church and evangelistic people. You know, when you hear the word evangelism, it scares a lot. You probably had your heart drop on your chest this morning when you heard the word evangelism because you may feel like that we're going to make you stand up here in the front. I think it would be good practice, though, to make you stand up here in the front and, and, and recite the four spiritual walls from the mid-20th century. Or have you come down here and, and give the faith acronym, forgiveness, of impossible, turn, heaven. Guys, if you can fix that, that would be great. <laughs> I know they're doing all they can, and uh, I think it's a, a uh, wavelength issue. We've had some of those issues lately, but it seems especially bad today. But we, when we think of evangelism, it should never scare us. However, we all come with our own preconceived ideas of what evangelism is and is not, or what it should or should not be. Uh, you may define evangelism as social action, so you think that if we're feeding the poor, if we're clothing the, 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 the negative, then we are doing evangelism. 
You may think that it's some sort of apologetic argument, that we're arguing our case, case before others, and we're, we're, we're taking uh, some other religion, some other faith, and we're pitting it against Christianity, and we're arguing that. I would say that's what some would believe evangelism is. You may think that evangelists and evangelism is only for the trained. It's for pastors and missionaries. But I like what John Stott says and how he defined evangelism. He says, to evangelize is to spread the good news that Jesus Christ died for our sins and was raised from the dead according to the Scriptures, and that as the reigning Lord, He now offers the forgiveness of sins and the liberating gift of the Spirit to all who repent and believe. So what John Stott, that great Scottish preacher and theologian, is helping us understand is that the Bible teaches, what it teaches is concerning the church, that we should be a part of it. So as an evangelistic people, the church is the one who communicates the gospel. The church calls people to respond to that gospel, to turn from their sin, to turn to Jesus through faith and through repentance. So the church should be in the business of feeding the hungry. Absolutely. Should the church be in the business of, of clothing the naked? Should the church be in the business of, of arguing the gospel and, and doing apologetic work? Of course, we want to tell our stories. We want to explain to others the difference and the change in our own lives. But if we do those things apart from the preaching, sharing, articulating of the gospel, we have not done evangelism. We've just told a story that may or may not get the person on the trail that leads them to a full understanding of Christ and what he's done for us. We only do social action, then it means we've only provided a temporary band-aid to an eternal injury. So I want us to examine what Jesus instructed here in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 28. He's speaking and sharing just before he ascends to the Father. Look with me in the last three verses, verse 8. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Obviously, this is the end of the Gospel of Matthew, and it works well to be the climax and the conclusion to what Matthew was moving toward, what he was arguing through his gospel. And all four gospels have a particular point that they're trying to make as they present and, and, and articulate the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus during that time. The Lord Jesus here is, as we see, he's passing the missional torch onto his disciples, onto the church, onto you and to me. Even as he promises to be with them, to be with us, and to empower his followers forever. He says, Lord, always, even to the end of the age. And so as the disciples join Jesus on the mountain, if we were to back up to verse 17, we see that they worshipped him. What does that mean? It means Jesus is not just this great teacher. He's not just a, a prophet. He's not just a miracle worker. He's not just someone who's been sent from God. Now they observing and seeing and experiencing the resurrected Messiah, know that he's not just a man, he's the God-man. He's full deity in human flesh. And so they worship him. The fact that Jesus was here, God in the flesh, gave him authority to commission them with his mission. 
And this commission was given to the church there on the mountain, and it's, been, it's continued to be the, the mission of his church from then to today until Jesus returns as we go and make disciples of all nations. And so from these verses, I want to share with you three things that we need to understand as an evangelistic people. Number one, as an evangelistic people, we go. This morning, if you are um, in the house, you've got a piece of paper just to remind I wanted to say this, but many of you use the Bible app. Many of you are online. You use the Bible's, Bible app as well, the version. And today we've got a new little uh, technology thing. So if you wanted to search for us in the events, you could actually get this outline on that. Or you can be old school and just see it on the screen. I would, you know, just do whatever you want to do, whatever makes you comfortable. If it's going to distract you to not pay attention while you scroll for something, just don't worry about it today. I should have said it earlier. Pick it up next week. But the first thing we learn here as we think about the, us as an evangelistic people is we go. We go to others with the gospel, with the purpose of making them disciples of Christ. So it's what it says here in verse, 18, verse 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples. This is the main command. Make disciples, the main command, the main verb in these verses. And this main verb, make disciples, is surrounded by three participles to help us understand how we flesh that out. We're to go to people. We're to baptize them, connect them to the body of Christ, and then teach them how to follow the commandments in the word of God. And so believers go to the law. Believers baptize the converted. Believers teach the commands of God. The, the commands to go applies to those who need to hear. Think about this. Locally globally. We're not called to just take the gospel here to those who are around us. We're to take it here and there. We must not think that where everyone, where, <laughs> this is getting crazy. Uh, we must not think that because everyone where we live may not have believed, we do not need to go to other places. I've heard that argument before. You've probably heard it as well. Why do I need to get on a, on a plane or why do I need to go somewhere further away when, man, everybody in my, my town or, or my state or my country or whatever has not yet believed the gospel? It's not so much that they've believed it, it's do they have access to it? And so we want to make sure that people have access to the gospel and have an opportunity to respond as God leads them and draws them to himself. That doesn't also mean that we only go overseas and we do missions and evangelism in faraway places. No, I believe what we see in Matthew 28 and in every Great Commission passage here in the Gospels, including the book of Acts, is that it's a both and. It's not an either-or approach. We do gospel missions here and there. We, miss, we seek to reach our neighbors and the nations at the same time. So we need to think about the gospel and evangelism in the both-and rather than an either-or approach. Luke gives another description of this same event, as I mentioned in Acts chapter 1. And there he says, Jesus speaking, he says, You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I don't believe what Jesus was saying is, stay in Jerusalem until every person in Jerusalem is converted. That's yet to happen. The disciples would have never left Jerusalem if that was the case. And then you go to Judea, and then you go to Samaria, and then you go to the ends of the earth. No, what we see is God making that happen because they were a little bit reluctant. He allowed persecution to come into the church. Acts chapter 6 and 7 and 8, you see them being dispersed, and you see the gospel flourishing in faraway, difficult places. And so the command to go, as we look at it, is better understood as an implicit 
going. It's an assumed going. We could translate this. You've probably heard this. As you go, make disciples. As you live your life, as you do what you do, as you go to work, as you go to school, as you're on vacation, as you go to the grocery stores, you're there pumping your gas. Whatever you do, make disciples. Go to them, right? Go to them with the gospel. It's understood that believers in the church are going to others with the message of Christ. We're not setting back. We're not waiting for sinners to to knock on the door and say, can you tell me about Jesus? Does that happen in Scripture? Absolutely it happens in Scripture. Does it happen today? Yes. But that's not the Great Commission. The Great Commission doesn't say put a sign out front and wait for lost people to come and ask you about Jesus. It doesn't say live a good life and they're going to recognize that you're a Christian And they're going to ask you about that. That's not what the gospel says. It says, go and make disciples. Engage people. Go where they are, here and there, right? We go. The go is a command to go to the workplace, to the classroom, to the neighborhood, to the gymnasium, to the ball field, anywhere that you frequently interact with people. Your co-centric circles of influence need to be gospel places in your life. It's also a strategic command, a strategic effort to take the gospel to people who have little to no access to it. And so this phrase, as we go, means that we're planning and that we're working to get the gospel to sinners who have never heard it, who have never heard it. That's why we need to go to those places. I can't wait to get on a plane. Lord, God, give, it, give us the ability to go overseas in 2021. This is the first year that I've not been internationally in almost, almost 11 years. We've got to get on those planes. We've got to go to places. We've got to share the gospel to people who have little to no access to it. So as an evangelistic people... Each of us individually and together corporately, we should strive to go to others in our daily lives with the gospel. We should strive to strategically go to others in faraway places with the gospel. As evangelistic people, we go. So both and command. So this answers the question of where we go with the gospel. We go to people who need to hear it and believe on it. We go here and there. We go to neighbors and nations. As we go, there's a second thing we need to do, and that is we share, obviously. We go and then we share. Sharing answers the question of what to do. You see, again, the main verb is make disciples. The Great Commission doesn't tell us to go and feed the hungry. Go and clothe the naked. Go and and build churches or build hospitals or build orphanages or whatever we may do in that social realm. It doesn't tell us to do that. doesn't mean those things aren't bad or aren't good. doesn't mean they're bad. They're actually very good things. But it's not evangelism if it's not coupled with the gospel and the articulation and the calling for a response. Make disciples is the command. What's a disciple? As you read through the New Testament, you see that a disciple is one who emulates, who follows a master. And so a disciple of Christ is one who gives allegiance to Jesus as Lord, as master of his or her life, and follows in sequence. That the life of Jesus is the life that the believer is personifying. That you look at them, the believer, and you see Jesus. The picture that we see in that is in the book of Acts where those believers in Antioch were referred to as Christians. Little Christ. Little uh, cosmic, uh, cosmic, not cosmic because that would be grand and, 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 um, and uh, astrological. Little images of Jesus. I just totally blew that up. 
guys, some of y'all were making fun of me the other day that I create words. Sometimes I will misuse a word. And I'm the only person that ever does it, I'm sure, in this room. You bunch of heathens. But think about what's, what's being said there in the book of Acts. These people who are in this church in Antioch, as the pagans living around them, living down the street, notice how they live. And they're like, man, I don't know about this Jesus because I never saw him, but I've heard a lot about him. And you look just like I think he would look. That ought to be the testimony of your life. We share the gospel so that others can hear. Think about what the gospel speaks to us and tells us, we know that sinners, because of their rebellion, are far from God. Romans 3 would tell us they're enemies of God. In order to become a disciple of Christ, what we see in Scripture is that the sinner must first understand the situation he or she is in apart from the gospel, apart from Christ. This knowledge comes through the gospel message. Think about it this way. If we don't help people understand their situation, understand that they are lost, they can never be found. I'm sure you men in here in this room or those watching us online, you've never been that guy in the car, because I've, of course, never been this way, just saying, I know exactly where I'm going. I don't need to stop for directions. In the day of GPS, we don't really have this problem anymore. But you may second-guess your GPS. But surely you haven't done that. But you continue to think, no, I know exactly where I'm going. i got to go up here, take this right, and it's down the, the hill, and then I'm going to take a shortcut, you know, that sort of thing. that happens all the time. And the, the wife or whoever sitting in the other passenger seat saying, just stop for directions. Let's call so-and-so and have them direct us to how to get to the house. And the man, because it's usually us hard-headed men, we're saying, no, I know, I know, I know. What does that man need to know? He needs to know he's lost. The only way for him to be found is to know he's lost, right? Never has happened in my life. The women in the church are saying amen to that. You know, the same is true for people who are dead in sin and trespasses. They think everything's okay. They just think, well, maybe I need to change a few things because, shit, yeah, yeah, I would agree that my life's not what I wish it would be, and, uh, but I just need to, I need to do something different. I need to change something. Maybe I need to, to be a little bit more religious. I ought to go to church some. I ought to do this or that, whatever it is. But they never acknowledge, I am undone. I stand before a holy God. I stand condemned in my sin. I stand under the condemnation of that sin. I deserve a devil's hell. I deserve to burn and be in punishment and anguish for all of eternity. People do not realize that on their own. They think, no, I'm, I'm good. I'm not like that guy. There's always that guy that's worse than us, that gal, right? We don't compare ourselves to each other. We are compared to the holy of holies, to the righteous God of creation. And when you stand in contrast to him, you're a crispy critter. So we go. We share. We help people understand their need for Christ. And as an evangelistic people, we share the gospel with others. It alone, Paul said, Romans 16, is the power of God for salvation. See, social ministry is good, but without the gospel, it's incomplete service. We can talk about our testimony. We, we can talk about the change that's taken place in our lives. But if we do not articulate why and how that change came about and how they can experience that as well through Christ, it is not evangelism. It is devoid of power to the person who's listening. So how should we share the gospel with others? I'm going to give you six 
guidelines really quick. Probably just going to give you the statement and move on. I would encourage you for the sake of time. I, I just don't have time to do it. Uh, but you can always get my manuscript. Go to our website. Go to the message page. And you can download the PDF if you uh, need some reading material to go to sleep later tonight. I'm just kidding. It's, it's foundational stuff. It's just incredible. That was a joke, by the way. It's bad when you've got to tell a joke. Six guidelines. T- number one. Tell people with honesty that if they repent and believe, they will be saved. These six guidelines are not, are not original with me. I'm borrowing them for doc, from Dr. Mark Dever, who I read extensively. But think about this. Tell people with honesty that if they repent and believe, they will be saved. That means you tell them the hard stuff, what I was just was saying. You are a sinner. You are in need of Christ. You're separated from God. You're dead in sins and trespasses. You're not a good person. You're a bad person. They need to know their situation. Tell them with honesty everything. Tell them why Jesus came. Well, you know, a lot of times we just say, Jesus on the cross. Why? Has anyone ever asked you that question that has no church experience whatsoever? Because they hear us talk about Jesus dying on a cross, but that is so foreign to a person who doesn't know the gospel. Wow, Jesus died for me. Why? Why would have Jesus have to do that? That's kind of weird. Explain that. You know, we got to be able to explain that. Why? It's because you're a sinner and you couldn't, you couldn't atone for your own sin. You being good is never good enough. Isaiah would say your righteousness is like filthy rags in sight and the presence of God. Tell them with honesty that if they repent and believe, they will be saved. Don't sugarcoat it. Now, don't be a jerk and mean. Be Christ-like. Be hospitable. Be kind, but be honest. Number two, tell people with urgency that if they repent and believe, they will be saved. You see, forgiveness and redemption, they're available today, but it doesn't mean they're available tomorrow. You're not promised tomorrow. So when we share the gospel, we ought to be urgent, call for a response, not manipulative, not coercive, not, not taking their hand and sticking it over a big lighter and say, you want to go to hell? That's how it's going to feel, brother. You, know, that's, you don't want to do that. I figured I'd get more of a laugh out of that. I think it's kind of funny. We don't manipulate. We don't bait and switch. Honesty, urgently. Call people to respond to the gospel. You're not promised tomorrow. One of our community members um, suddenly passed away last weekend. Funeral was Friday. It can happen to any of us. You don't have to be sick. You don't have to have some sort of major illness. It can happen in any moment. Here's another thing. You may never get an opportunity to hear the gospel again. Well, I live in America. It's everywhere. I can turn the TV on. doesn't mean your heart's going to be tuned to it. i got a church on every corner. I can just drive down the road. Anytime I want to hear the gospel, yeah, you can sit under the gospel. doesn't mean you're hearing it. There's a sovereign aspect to salvation. God calls us and draws us to himself. So he may be calling and drawing today. doesn't mean he's calling and drawing tomorrow. There's a parable that, he talked, that, that shared in the Gospels where Jesus is walking by a fig tree and it's not bearing fruit. And he says, I'm going to curse it. I'm going I'm to destroy this. And Peter begs, no, let's do some stuff. Let's, 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 let's cultivate and, and let's do these things to try to make it grow. And if it's not bearing fruit next year, then surely, yeah, let's, let's remove it urgently calling for people to respond to the gospel. Number three, tell people with joy that if they repent and believe, they will be saved. 
I mean, share the gospel with others. And as you do, don't shy away from the difficulties that are a normal part of living in a fallen world. Uh, share how, how God gives you joy in the midst of heartache. I mean, the second song we sang this morning, we have hope. Think about what the message of that song was. We have hope in the midst of difficulties. Share how Jesus continues to encourage you and bless you and give you joy when it seems like there's nothing to be joyful about. Have a song to sing. Let there be a difference in how you live your life. Let it influence how you share the gospel. Number four, use the Bible. You say, well, I, I thought we were always told to memorize Scripture. Absolutely. But as you share the Bible or use the Bible to share the gospel, it helps people see, hey, this is not just your ideas. This is God's idea. Or at least whoever wrote this book because they may not know all of those details. So use the Bible. Read from the Scriptures. Give it to them to read. Those are some good ways to share the gospel with others. Philip did this in Acts chapter 8. He took what the man was reading there in Isaiah 53 and moved it to Jesus with the gospel. Number five, realize that the lives of individual Christians and of the church as a whole are, are a central part of evangelism. You see, how we live will either give credibility to our message or become a liability. The way you live your life, the, vo the words you use, the, 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 the approach that you have to everything that you do, that is either an asset or a liability for the gospel in your life. Maybe one of the reasons you can't share the gospel where you work is because you don't look like and live like and sound like a Christian. You sound like the people you should be reaching. There's a disconnect there. When it comes to us corporately, think about church membership. Why does church membership matter? It's not about you having a name on a roll. It's about us as brothers and sisters loving each other, encouraging one another, equipping one another, uh, uh, holding one another accountable to how we live so that it gives us a greater gospel impact within our community. Number six, remember to pray. Salvation is the work of God. I think many times we, when we think of, uh, of sharing the gospel, we get so overwhelmed thinking, oh man, if I, if I mess it up, if I, if I don't say things right, or if I don't know what to do, I don't know how to answer this question, just remember, it's not about you. It's not about you. God spoke through a donkey. I think he can speak through you. Doesn't mean you don't want to try as best you can to articulate a clear gospel message. Doesn't mean you shouldn't work at articulating that. I mean, think about what I do every Sunday, what our Bible study teachers do every Sunday, and anytime else we teach, we prepare, right? We, hopefully you read through that lesson. Hopefully you're writing, you're making notes. You, you may even actually go and voice a teaching of it or a preaching of it. But when you get in the midst of it, it doesn't always go the right way. Hence today, the microphone cuts out about every 10 seconds. God uses faithful and willing people. That's all you got to be, faithful and willing. Some of the times in, over the years where God has done some neat and incredible things in, in the ministry he's called me to have been those moments where I was like, everything was a disaster. I mean, just like the plane never got off the runway, it crashed, and it felt to me like burning, and the Spirit of God did something that we just never expect, expected. There's been other times, though, I've come in, we've done things, and like, man, that is the best. Everything was just awesome, wonderful, and it's like nothing happened. Again, it just reminds it's not about us. It's about the Lord. Remember to pray. Salvation is a work of God in the lives 
of people. And so as an evangelistic people, we go and we share. We go to people who are far from God and we share the gospel message. Where do we go and where do we share? We go here and we go there. But why? Why do we go and why do we share? Here's the third thing I want you to see, and that is we love. We go and we share because we love. See, our motivation for evangelism is love. It's love. It's the reason behind all of our service. See, the reason I serve my wife, the reason I serve my daughters, the reason I do what I do as a husband and as a father is because I love them. More than that, it's because I love the Lord, and he's commanded me and modeled for me how I'm to do that in my home. And and so every facet of our lives, we serve people because we love them. And as a follower of Jesus, we love them because we first love God. Love is the motivation. It's the why of our evangelism. So in the gospel work, we go and we share because we love. We love God. We think about his grace and his mercy. When we, when we really begin to just contemplate that, it overwhelms us. Think about how despicable we are in our sins and how much grace and mercy has been bestowed upon us. It ought to overwhelm us. You're not a good person. Not in the eyes of God. But God loves you. And thus we love God. We love the lost. See, our love for God and understanding of his grace, it leads us to see lost sinners through the eyes of Jesus. Think about what was going on there in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. When Jesus was coming into the city of Jerusalem, it says that he had compassion on them, for they were like sheep without a shepherd. We as followers of Jesus, loving God, understanding the gospel, understanding what it's done for us, we ought to look at people in need of Christ and have that same sort of compassion. But they are sheep without a shepherd. So how can we shepherd them into a relationship with Christ? We love God. We love people. We desire to obey the Great Commission. See, our love for for is a love for his word. And it leads us to desire to obey the Great Commission. Love is always proved through obedience. You say, I love God. I would say, tell me how much you're living out this word. That, that'll prove it. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments, right? So we prove our love for the Lord by obeying his word. I believe Paul understood this. I, I, as he understood the gospel's implications on his own life, he saw it as a stewardship, that God had given him a stewardship entrusted to him. His love for God fueled his obedience to the Great Commission. Why would Paul ever put himself in all the dangers that he did? wasn't just because he was some radical um, guy that just wanted to live on the edge of life. That experience was what he sought and desired. He just wanted this new cutting-edge experience. That's not what motivated him. It's not like he's base jumping and, and, and repelling off cliffs or anything like that. But he did put himself in harm's way. He's shipwrecked. He's stoned. He preaches the gospel. He's beaten, left for dead. Why does he do all of this? Because he loved God, he loved people, and he was captivated with the gospel. And when it was all said and done, Paul wanted to be able to stand before the God he loved and be found faithful. Faithful. Don't you want to hear those words one day? Good. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Going back to that missionary there in the jungles of the Amazon. He says, you can be born, live, and die without ever hearing the name of our Savior, so we have to go. 
it's worth it. We have to go. It's worth it. There are people here and there who are born and live their lives without ever hearing of what Jesus has accomplished for them. They do not know what you and I know. They do not know that God loves them. They don't know the good news of the gospel that God loves them. They don't know and understand that they've been made by God and for God, that he is the creator of their life, that who they are is not an accident. It's not a, it's not a misstep. It's not some sort of chance. It is the, the sovereign intention and creation of God that brought them into existence. No matter what background they come up from, no matter what language they speak, no matter what geographic region they live in, it does not matter who their family is and the experiences they've had. God did not make a mistake. And the people who do not know Jesus don't know that truth. God loves them. They don't know the bad news of the gospel. That though they're a creation of God, though they're desired by God because of their sin, they're separated from God. They're in, the, un, in and under the condemnation of that sin. They deserve a devil's hell. They deserve the judgment that the Bible speaks of. They deserve all of that, but they don't know it. Can you imagine driving down the road of life and you're headed to a cliff and there's no signs that say you need to get off the road. You don't, you don't need to go any further. You need to park the car and get out. You don't need to continue. Imagine heading to the edge of the Grand Canyon and you can't see the chasm below. There's no signs warning you and all of a sudden you go off the cliff. Several years ago, I was a student pastor in Fort Smith, Arkansas. I was right out of college. So Fort Smith, Arkansas is right on the Oklahoma state line. It's about halfway down. It's on the Arkansas River. And I was um, on staff there. Some of our guys on staff had a hunting, a duck hunting club in Vianne, Oklahoma, about 40 miles to the west. And so I'd been over there a few times duck hunting with them. This is the winter time, And that Sunday morning, we're getting ready for services like we would do here. You know, it's an hour or so before the first service. We're hustling around. And we begin to hear the reports that on Interstate 40, heading west, that a barge had hit one of the pillars of one of the bridges and compromised it, causing it to crumble. You might have remembered this. About 18 years ago, this happened. And motorists motoring down I-70 at at least 70 miles an hour, probably if it's you and I, a little more than that, had no warning that the bridge in front of them was no longer there. They plunged off 13, 14, 15 cars into the cold waters of the Arkansas River. Imagine that taking place. That happens every day in every country around the world. People living life not knowing the danger they're in, not knowing the bad news of the gospel. They also don't know the best news, that God the Son has paid the penalty for their sins so that they can be set free, that he came and offered his life as a substitute and experienced the judgment of sin that you deserve on himself, that God the Father himself exhausted his wrath on sin on him rather than exhausting it on you. They don't know that. Thus, they're being plunged off into a chasm forever and ever and ever. How will they know if we don't tell them? This morning, some of you in this room, some of you watching us online, you may be in that predicament. You're traveling down the road of life, and the bridge is out, and you don't know it. Today, the greatest need in your life is for Jesus to be the bridge that brings safety and stability to you for all of eternity. How do you do that? You say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need forgiveness. 
I want to surrender my life to you. Be the Lord and Savior of my life. It's not a magical formula. You can say something like that in a myriad of different ways. But it's you confessing, I'm a sinner. I need forgiveness. Jesus is the only hope for my life. I faith into him. I turn from sin. I turn from myself. And I turn to a Savior. Maybe that's your greatest need today. If it is, I want to invite you in a moment when we have a time of response to come. We'll get you with one of our encouragers. If you're online this morning, if you don't feel comfortable coming this morning, I would definitely encourage you to reach out to us in some form or fashion. You can send us a message through Facebook. You can go to our Contact Us tab on our website. You can do whatever. Send a pigeon carrier. But don't leave this morning without responding to the gospel. For us as believers, what do we need to do? Maybe today God's put someone in your heart, someone in your neighborhood, someone in your workplace, someone at your school, someone that uh, you see on a regular basis because your, your kids are on the same team or, or whatever. Whatever the circles of influence, you know lost people. And there's no one to share the gospel with that person but you. So maybe today you just say, you need to say, God, I, I, I want to be found faithful in this area. Help me to be an evangelistic follower of Jesus Christ. We'll be an evangelistic church when we're ha- we have evangelistic people. We're, we're pretty good in this area. We've got a long ways to go. So this morning, I hope you feel that, that challenge. And I hope you're responding to it. Let's pray. Let's stand to our feet. Ricky's going to come. We're going to sing. We're going to respond. And then we're going to observe the Lord's Supper.